to another edition of Tied Together. I'm your host, Katrina Logie, for today's show. And we're going to be talking about digital in energy and specifically, you know, how energy is being disrupted and deregulated. And we're talking with Chesson Bradshaw, who's the CEO of Energy Ogre. And Energy Ogre helps its customers to get the best available energy prices with a focus on renewable energy. Jesson, welcome to the show today and thank you for joining us all the way from Houston. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and you know your listeners. So it's uh, great to have you and I see obviously that you're you know used to doing podcasts because I've uh, linked you up on uh, I've googled you and, and see that this is something oh, that Lord. is a, a good <laughs> medium for you I, I love it uh, you know I, education and really discussion and, and having the big conversations about energy and energy policy and what that means to the end consumers is a big big part of what I'm trying to get done from an energy ogre perspective. You know, our core business is centered in and around really reducing costs and taking advantage of the competitive market here in Texas to benefit the our members to the maximum extent possible. But we also see, I mean, I can't serve folks in other places that are not open to competition today, but I can arm them with with information, at least the way we see it, and, and help them understand more than likely what's coming down the road for them, primarily in the, the U.S. markets. You know, I think the some of the other other global markets are maybe a slightly different kettle of fish, but we definitely try to focus on education as much as we can here because there are so many of these new new things that ha- there are new opportunities. There are things like solar installations, you know, uh, you know, behind the meter home installations. There are, you know, people talking here about community solar. Or they're talking about other types of, of things. So. These are very timely and I think important topics, and there just hasn't been a legacy of of a lot of consumer knowledge or a really good place for in consumers or residential customers to access good information. So I, I appreciate what you're doing, and that's a big part of why I have been spending my time, you know, talking to interesting folks like yourself. Wonderful, all over the world. Yes, yeah, it's. You know, the, the fun thing about that is I think a lot of times we have um, in energy, at least, maybe this is more of a U.S. thing or maybe more of a, an energy industry thing. We tend to be, we have a snobbery, I think, unfortunately, that we have you know, the best infrastructure and energy in the world and we're going to lead from the front on all these things. But the reality is, I think it's very likely that some of the most innovative emergent technologies are likely to come from other places in the world that are developing, you know, just their ability to completely bypass legacy infrastructure because they're building something from scratch that they don't have to overcome an incumbency or they don't have to over overcome a regulatory scheme. Um, they're, they're able to start from scratch. And so that's why I like talking to folks in all different parts of the world as they're you know, undertaking their own path. And I do think that we may see some of the most interesting technological advances come from the emerging market. It wasn't that long ago I had a business and I had uh, the opportunity. I spent some time in Indonesia. Yeah. And when I had gone to Indonesia, it was kind of an epiphany for me, you know, talk about try not to be the ugly American <laughs> when you travel abroad, but... 
you know, we think about some of these places are these very, very remote places. And the folks that I was with, you know, there's, I see everybody is walking around connected on their cell phones and everything else. I'm like, man, it's amazing. And they're like, well, why is that amazing? Uh, you know, way out here in the middle of one of the less inhabited areas of Indonesia, one of the islands there. And they said, well, look, you know, in the U.S., you guys had built all this copper wire everywhere and all this infrastructure and you dug all these things out and the cost per mile was X. We just put up cell towers and like <laughs> we just bypassed all that. So your ability to build it all new with the newest technologies and what you get out of that versus having to overcome and plug it into a legacy infrastructure. That was a very interesting observation for me and it was meaningful. It was really powerful. Wow. So how did that, you know, affect your business related to your epiphany? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, if I'm here in, in these markets and we're dealing with a large regulatory overhang and a large legacy of some of those things. But yeah, I mean, what, what it basically tells you, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway there is that technological innovation drives all these businesses forward. And so to the greatest extent possible, what we see here is, you know, Texas, from a competitive perspective, the way the market is structured here, is by far and away the most dynamic of the markets in the United States, for, mm. you know, particularly at the residential level. But it really, you could make that same argument at the wholesale generation level. And it's because of this amount of liberalization, it introduces opportunity for technological advancement or for folks to find applications for either legacy or emerging technologies because they can be rewarded for it financially. And so you have to have that dynamic environment that allows someone to have a risk and reward associated with introducing those technologies. And that happens here. And that's very much like what we like I, what I saw in Indonesia. It's just they weren't dealing with an overhang. It was there's an opportunity. Here's an emergent technology. We can deploy this and here's a margin opportunity with that. So it's the same thing, but you you really have to have the the political regulatory environment that allows those incentives to allow that melding of technology, and that's that's really what has driven everything forward here. So it's a, a case of not changing it but fixing it. Yeah, it's it's allowing the you know. In certain places, if we're in a vertically integrated regulatory structure, meaning a monopoly utility company, and I have, let's just say, a better solution for, let's say that that I, I used an emergent technology that was my electrical conductor. Let's say I found an electrical conductor that was a better conductor and it saves you know, heat loss on transmission. You know, In some of these markets, I would have to convince the local incumbent utility, and then I would have to get the regulatory throughput. But in other places where someone's putting new up, I can compete for that. And if I have a better mousetrap and I can sell that, you know, the fact that there's potential for competition in those markets allows the introduction of these technologies. Whereas in other places, you know, you have the haves and the have nots, and it's difficult for these technologies to penetrate in some cases. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, let's talk about, you know, how energy, first of all, how energy ochre is, is basically deregulating the energy market. And then let's talk about how technology is disrupting the energy market. Sure. I think um, I wish that we were deregulating, but we are trying to make sure that folks get the most out of that market. So 
I'll, I'll tell you the problem that we saw and kind of one of the issues that we've seen since time began and what really why we built Energy Ogre. So the market here opened January 1st of 2002 in not all of Texas, but most of the large population centers in Texas. So most of the greater Dallas area, most of Houston. You're giving access to the deregulated market. Right. So the what happened is that the, the consumers now, it's it's actually, we call it deregulated. The regulators would call it consumer choice. Now, all of a sudden, consumers in these areas had the ability to choose multitudes of different providers, provided that those folks had met the minimum regulatory requirements to get certified, et cetera, et cetera. So now, like the, the legacy incumbent utility here in Houston was Houston Lighting and Power. And so everyone that, you know, in 1999, we all bought our power from HLP or, you know, 2001. And then all of a sudden, Jan 1, 2002, I had the ability to choose amongst 30 or 40 different alternative suppliers for my electricity. So there's a, there's a good and a bad that can come from that. And so I wish I were better from a psychology perspective, or I wish I, I understood some of these things better. But there seems to be this problem where when someone is given a choice of five options, it's easier to make a decision amongst five. If you give them a choice amongst 30, it becomes overwhelming sometimes. I can understand that. Yeah. And so here we had a whole population that had no experience in, I mean, they experienced buying things competitively and other, like uh, make a decision of which, which gas station do I want to go to, or I have a brand preference, which is really what it comes down to, mm-hmm. which is crazy because electricity is the one commodity or the one thing you buy that there should be zero brand preference because it's mm-hmm. literally, it is the only fungible commodity that you can buy. One provider's electricity is literally identical to everybody else's. There's no premium value of one versus the other. So maybe water, but I'm sure one brand of water might be slightly different than another brand of water. But there literally is zero difference in the, in the product that these providers are providing. So, so I think people got a little confused as to how to go about making these purchases. But the, the folks that set up the law here, the competitive uh, choice law, they, they structured in such a way as very, very powerful from a consumer protection perspective. So there are a number of, of really powerful aspects to the statute that are written into it. But it, there is also this expectation that most consumers would be really actively involved. Like they're going to educate, they're going to be on top of these things. And, you know, there, there's a lot of active involvement. And the reality is kind of like where we are everywhere in the world today is, if I've got three kids at home and I'm shuttling kids to, you know, this game, or if I've got this work thing and I'm traveling here, I'm even taking care of a parent, maybe I'm whatever that is, is in the end, electricity is a kind of an ethereal commodity. It just sort of shows up and it's very much out of sight, out of mind. And so, so I think what happened is, is that, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of these powerful things, a lot of these powerful tools, people kind of got interested in it, dabbled in it a little bit, and then it kind of forgot about it. And that's where we see is that people will end up falling into higher and higher overall cost environments, just because they're not involved in the competitive markets. They're, they're, they're paying less attention to these things over time. 
And so that's the environment that we saw. So basically the opportunity is if you have an environment where let's just say we had in Texas, there's seven and a half million meters that are in the residential side that are in the competitive arena. And so I don't know what that translates to 20 million people. I don't know what the average household size is, but you know, that's a lot of people. And and if you look at it on average, let's just say a million of those meters are in very competitive price plans. And then like five, four or five million people are in not competitive price plans that there's an immediate opportunity for them to bring a, a technology solution or a knowledge solution that will immediately benefit them. And it's not, there's no real investment of capital or infrastructure. It's literally taking advantage of better access to information or, or technologies. And so that's what we started Energy Ogre to do. One of the first problems that we had was there's no standardization of the different kinds of offers that providers are able to put out there. You know, there was an old uh, commercial here in the U.S. a long time ago. It was called, uh, is Burger King have it your way? I don't know if they ever had this anywhere else in the world, but it was, hey, McDonald's has one kind of hamburger and you can customize and mix and match your burgers however you want. So that's kind of what happened here too, is we got away from the tariff structure where it was one size fits all to now you have all these different types of plans. There are some that are time of use plans. There are some that are energy credit. If you use 500 kilowatt hours a month, you get a fixed credit and all, well, like basically any structure you want to come up with, as long as it did, you know, breach the rules in some way that was out there and available. And so that was the real challenge that we had to begin with is in order to make a good decision, what we have to do is be able to get all these, you know, there's 140 different providers in Texas that are registered to be able to sell at retail. And they might have five to a hundred different offers. So at any given time, literally there might be thousands of different rate plans in each of the regions that are available for consideration. So we had to come up with the technology that could digest all those things and find a way to make them apples to apples with one another. How can I take this plan that looks like this and put it on a direct comparative basis with another plan that's actually structured completely differently? And that's what we brought some of these machine learning and some of the some of the original aspects of our business, which were being able to use on-demand computing power through cloud-based uh, solutions, as opposed to us having you know, dedicated performance on dedicated rack space someplace else, our ability to spool up a lot of processing power you know, on an intermittent basis as we needed to, that was us trying to, trying to incorporate some of these emerging technologies when cloud computing first came out when we first started. That was kind of where, where, where our original was. Right. Yeah. So you're basically giving, you know, uh, you know, customers price plans and personalization by giving them, you know, different offers, but combining them to what they want, tailor-made. Right. And technology is helping this. It's not possible without us having the ability to apply some of these things. If I were trying to do this 15 years ago, it, it's an impossibility. It, it, it would, we would not have been able to do this. Right. So actually, that, how, long, how long have you been around, actually? Yeah, we started Energy Ogre in 2013. 
So we spent about a year building a minimum deployable framework around which to do this because actually the, the item that I was talking about before, that's about one third of the equation. So we have to get all the offers set up in such a way. And so we found a way to do that where we could get all these offers and we could, it's not doing it once, they might change every 10 minutes to an hour. So we have to be continuously updating what those what the state of the market is right almost like an exchange right but the other kind of important thing that happened in texas was we moved away from demand meters to smart meters so they're pulled settlement meters or an ams meter and so each one of the customers that we have has a unique fingerprint they have a unique consumption profile and that consumption profile absolutely informs the correct solution so if you think about it, what, we, what we've done is we've taken a way to take all these disparate plans and put them into a series of curves. So the easiest way to think about it might be there might be a thousand supply curves in a particular region that we have that are dynamically updated. Our customers have a unique demand profile. So we have supply profiles and a demand profile. So now it's an algorithmically relatively straightforward exercise to select amongst those offers the one that mathematically results in the lowest overall cost to serve. That's the next iteration of kind of what's happened uh, in that business. And then interestingly, the, the biggest leap for us was because of the apathy and the, because of everyone getting sidetracked in their day-to-day -day lives, uh, we knew it would be very valuable if we just actually took care of the, of the solution for the customer. So not just providing them information, just to take care of it for them. So make the selection, run the analytics, make the determination, and then actually process that enrollment for them. So you you just take it where you simplify this process to the greatest extent possible, where I'm not providing you information, I'm going to help just take care of it for you. So you don't really have to worry about it anymore. All the information is there for you if you want to do a deep dive, but we've, we're just going to handle it. So of course, that necessitates us having... API or other types of interactions with these providers with the way the data needs to go across and security most importantly. So yeah, it's a, there's a lot of these emergent technologies that we're able to tie in over time in order to make this look very simple to our customers. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, complicated in the back end. Yeah, so the back end, I mean, let's talk about the back end. What kind of technology are you using to enable these services and, and to, you know, to help the customer make their choices and provide energy in the most cost-effective way. Well, I mean, it, it's—I don't think you can say it's one. You know, we have to, as time has gone on, and in order to be able to accommodate all the different places that we bring information in, and all the places that we send information out to, there are a number of, of different ones. But you know, at, at its core, we have a database structure where we're bringing information, we're pulling information in, transforming that data within within our database structure. We make extensive use of cloud computation. We have part of our infrastructure in place with AWS. We have part of our infrastructure in place with Microsoft and some others. Really interestingly, um, as these, uh, you know, there's some really amazing technology or software uh, developers, you know, including machine learning and some of the I hate people talking about AI, but some of the really the interesting big data issues and sifting through some of this information and getting uh, very large data sets down to discrete actionable items, how you pass those through, how you handle them, and how you transform that information. 
So, you know, we do a lot with the, the things that you would think we would through, you know, SQL and these guys dealing, you know, Java and we have, you know, React on the front end uh, as we try to run our customer facing portal and our app, you know, through a common infrastructure as well. So the, the short and the, the long of it is every time that there's either I'm always looking for something else that someone has built to see how I can apply it to what we're doing. Right. So are you creating, uh, I mean, obviously using what other people have standardized in terms of technology, but you're creating your own system as well. And let's talk about propriety technology, because obviously that's what, you know, you're using. Tell us how, you know, how that works and how you sort of, you know, bring that into your platform. Sure. I mean, in, in many respects, the proprietary infrastructure is the business. You know, at the end of the day, Energy Ogre is a technology company, whether we're involved with energy, it's just wrapped in this customer service candy coating, you know, to make it easier for our customers to interact with us and digest. But at its core, this is a business that, that's predicated on high degrees of automation. It's a tremendous amount of data. It's very difficult to process. It'd be difficult for a human being to do that, you know. If for nothing else, just given the large sets of data that you're dealing with, the potentiality for transcription error when you add people into the process as opposed to having it done in a clean environment is infinitely better. So our systems are set around trying to perform the bulk of the heavy lifting that we do. And obviously, these kinds of those systems wouldn't exist or not available off the shelf. So for us, we've always had a focus on our our development teams and we've we've developed all of these tools and in many respects you know at some point you become a software company with a customer base of one uh, <laughs> that provides the infrastructure that that powers the bulk of the of another business but it's all it's all wrapped together my development folks and my development teams have been top notch they're very not only are they technically uh, very very good at what they do but they have a very good understanding of the business triggers and the items. So there's an, anticipata- there's an anticipation of issues and how these things need to be built out in order to accommodate growth in these different areas or different structures. So it's been a big, big part of, of what we've looked for is, you know, are the developers that we have, most of them are full stack developers. They have usually a pretty good commercial sense about them as well, which, you know, my experience is that's maybe not quite as common <laughs> in, in a lot of folks, but I think they have a, a, a little, if nothing else, maybe a little bit of a spider sense about, okay, this feels like this might be getting into something. Let me, let me get in touch with the ops or the commercial folks. And so there's a great deal of coordination that occurs and, you know, that, that's been key and critical to what Energy Ogre has been able to do so far. So, and again, there are all these other, you know, things that have been talked about for forever that are coming one way or the other. You know, we are highly, highly focused on demand response and demand management types of programs and how we integrate those into the service offerings we have with our customers and then how that might work, you know, in a completely different setting as well. So, yeah, it, it just it continues to go that way. It's fast moving. It is very, 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 and that's one of the beautiful things about energy is it it doesn't get stale. I, no, it doesn't. I started twenty five years ago, thirty years ago, 
And there's just as much opportunity through these emergent technologies in the space there than there was then. And that was us beginning to deregulate it. So, Yeah. So how has it changed? I mean, you're talking 20, 30 years ago. What changes have you seen in terms of technology disrupting the energy market? Well, I think early on, it was uh, around power generation technologies. And that's what's so interesting is there's a there's a wholesale aspect to these uh, technological advancements, and then there's a, a retail. But you know, it may be more evident on the wholesale side. You know, when I started in this business, a lot of our power generation infrastructure in the U.S. at least was you know coal-fired capacity. Some here in Texas, we had a lot of uh, natural gas steam-fired capacity, but these are all power plants that were 19. 60s, 70s, maybe some 1980s vintage, probably not 1980s vintage, 40s, 50s, and 60s vintage power generation. And there was this big revolution of very efficient natural gas-fired combustion turbine engines, uh, like a GE 7F types of technology or Westinghouse or H-Class. So there was this huge technology change that really happened on the power generation side where all the incremental power generation requirements really started to become served by these very efficient natural gas fire generating technologies operating in combined cycle and they you know, part of that was in response to relatively high natural gas prices that we had here in the u.s at the time and part of it was they were just more efficient uh, they were cleaner burning orders of magnitude cleaner from a nox perspective alone as well as co Mm-hmm. And then right now we've we've kind of rolled over again, you know, in Texas, Texas itself, and this is probably true in some of the other parts of the country, but I, I get so focused on it because this is what I deal with on a day in and day out basis. But Texas by itself is a fifth largest producer of wind energy in the world. Is it? Wow. It's behind, I think, Germany, China, India, the United States, but Texas is in, is in the denominator of the United States, and, and I'm not, I can't remember the last country, but our nameplate capacity of generation here in Texas, about 91,000, 92,000 megawatts of generation capacity, over 30,000 megawatts of that nameplate capacity is wind. So almost a third of our infrastructure, our power generation infrastructure here is wind, and that's all been built really pretty much since the market opened here. Which is when? January of 2002. So, wow, because you think of Texas as oil and gas, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what it was, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, we were never oil for power plants here. Uh, we definitely were heavily, heavily invested in natural gas, but it's all very efficient today. So, you know, right after deregulation, folks came in and they built a bunch of brand new natural gas fired technology and displaced all almost all of the old gas steam. And uh, there's been this second revolution that's occurred where because of the production tax credit, we built a tremendous amount of wind here. It's easy to easy to get it sighted. We're, you know, make it relatively straightforward for folks to build wide open spaces. And so we had this huge Oklahoma land rush uh, for folks building wind plants. Mm-hmm. And what we're dealing with today is, you know, in the last two years, we had almost no grid scale solar in Texas. We had you know, very little of it. And uh, right now, today, uh, looking at it, of course, it's a little bit overcast, but uh, today we produce, I'm not sure what the nameplate capacity is on it. I'm assuming it has to be probably somewhere upwards of about 9,000 megawatts of solar. 
that theoretically is going to 20 to 25,000 megawatts of grid scale solar here in the next two years. If I look at interconnection agreements and other types of things that have been done. So, you know, we, we are dealing with the consequences associated with having a very high proportion of our electricity uh, delivered by uh, renewable technologies. So this is what you're combining on your platform, basically. Yeah, we have to be aware because that's that's what is coming into the supply. And so the frictions that exist in the wholesale market inevitably translate into frictions in the residential or retail markets. And so we, we this is why some of these other new emerging things that we're working on, demand response or demand management, is how can we shift demand? How can we incent our customers how can we give them or make sure that they're rewarded financially for changing their consumption behavior in response to what's happening in the wholesale markets? And so that's uh, front and center for us. And that's you know very, very much an application of, of some of these emerging technologies. Right. And, and so edu- you're educating them on how to consume, basically. We're trying to, in some cases, the inverse of what we did with our original products, which we're just handling it for them. Part of this is what types of automations can be put in place, you know, within the confines of of something that they've agreed to, to simplify that process as well. So how do we make it simple where you have the true smart home in, in terms of how these things work and respond with respect to price? So, Right. And and how many offerings do you have on your on your platform that is... Yeah, what, what, how many offerings do you have there? We're a cookie cutter. So we provide our membership service. So it's one service that we take care of all these things for folks. But at any given time in terms of rate plans, if that's what you're asking, I mean, there might be 300 active to 1,000 in the four major regions here of the state that we serve. So it's it's a lot of options. <laughs> it's a lot of options. To, to hundreds of thousands of customers, you've got over 100,000 customers. We do, we do. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun, and and the emerging technologies you talked about, obviously, since you you know started in 2013. What have you seen in terms of technologies growing and and the capacity of its growth in terms of what changes have you seen with between the technology you started with to the technology you're using today? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, some of the first generation of tools that we were able to. You know, it's not the data itself, it's the tools that we're using to manipulate the data or the tools that we're using to really f- discern or do the calculations around those. I mean, if you've been in the, in the data transformation or, you know, any, any, any kind of mathematical looks at information, just the things that are available today, to truly the emergence of some of the, I hate saying AI, but some, some of the other tools that are out there that really sift through noise from pattern recognition and looking at data, those are just, it's just night and day. What we're dealing with in, in, in 2021 versus uh, 2013, just the efficiency by which that actually occurs, the speed by with, with which that actually occurs. And, and in a lot of cases for us, speed is, the, is one of the more important aspects because the opportunity might be fleeting. We need to be able to take care of some of those things. Yeah. And in some other cases, there are certain insights that we're able to get, you know, in, in terms of some of the, uh, you know, one of the things that a, a quick example would be when we first started, we were looking at taking our customers historical usage information, and, and there's a way to do that. So we would, we would use the past as prologue, for lack of a better term. So we would look at their usage consumption, 
and try to make a, a guesstimate as to what that would mean for the next year. But obviously, I'm not going to consume electricity exactly the same way next year that I did this last year. It's informative. It's definitely a good starting point. But if I start getting into the proverbial weeds on some of these things, I can start to disaggregate that demand information, normalizing it for weather effects. If I have enough history associated with somebody, I can start to do a much better job of predicting almost not quite a Monte Carlo simulation, but I can start to to run that on an iterative basis and start to look at some of the distribution profiles of what that expected consumption would look like. And then I can adjust that for expected weather to have a, a much tighter understanding or a much more forecastable or a much higher confidence interval as to what that future consumption might look like. So that's a very good example of technology that was out of out of the reach for us when we first started. But by being able to incorporate some of these newer abilities to just to handle larger amounts of information discreetly, efficiently, um, it allowed us to really you know, enhance what we were looking at and get much, much, much better actionable information. Right. So measuring the consumption and also cutting the cost of consumption. Right. If we have a better idea of what someone was going to use into the future, then it allows us to focus, you know, there's a difference between accuracy and precision. So we're trying to to do the, the best we can with both. And so a better understanding of what that consumption profile will look like in, in different weather environments makes it easier for us to pick a type of plan that performs better under a wider range of circumstances, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. So if you were to sort of say to a customer, buy a, you know, a, a, a energy package from Energy Yoga, what, what would be, in a nutshell, what, what would be your selling point? Sure. Uh, well, generally speaking, uh, most people haven't paid as much attention to that as they could. So the, the immediate selling point is, I can probably save you somewhere between 20 to 40% on your total cost. So that's, that's kind of a first and foremost selling point for us. And, and, you know, good news is that's oftentimes true. And then beyond that, the reality is, uh, there's a convenience factor associated with us, not just taking care of that for you once, but making sure that you stay there. And so the, the idea that there's some some level of peace of mind where we'll we'll just take care of it, we'll manage your house like it's our house, we'll be on top of it, and we'll take care of it to make sure you don't get in those bad outcomes in the future. And that that's that's basically what the overall proposition is to the consumer from the outside looking in. They don't see all the things that the ducks feet under the water, what it takes to make that all a reality. But that's that's the overall proposition for for our members. Right. And and in terms of technology and how the customers use the technology, you know, you're obviously making it simple for them. That's the goal. You know, we don't want them to we try to minimize their their necessity to to have to actively participate in any of this stuff. It's all there for them if they want that. We can give them customized analysis and answer whatever questions that are there. I always thought about it as kind of a layer of an onion philosophy. There's the simple version you know, okay, if you want the the high school version, cool. If you want the the university version, if you want the PhD version, it's all kind of there for you as far down the rabbit hole as you want to go. What we find is most people stop at the at the high school version, but it's all there for them if they want to dig in and, and uh, get access to more of the more needy information. Okay. And we talked about, you know, where te- technology has come from. Where do you see technology going, with, you know, helping sort of energy 
sort of being more you know efficient well there's no question and this is why i'm focusing a huge portion of our resources on it but you know inert electricity is one of these weird things and i think people don't really think about it a whole lot but just by way of a little bit of background if you really and i think maybe people haven't spent as much something about this but electricity is odd it's the only commodity we produce it we distribute it and we consume it instantaneously for real purposes we can't really store it on a large basis on the grid scale so when people consume it when they use it it's very demand driven it's in fact it's entirely demand driven and so it makes it hard so as we as we introduce more renewable technologies over time and that's not a bad thing i think it's they should win on economics because you have no fuel cost so provide that you can get your installed ca- cost of capital low enough and it doesn't have an operational characteristic that's worse than the alternative um, but we're missing storage technologies today and when you're missing storage technologies one of the things that that is a good solution is to incent consumption behavior so if we have a surplus of wind well maybe there are some kinds of loads that we can incent people to consume more during certain periods of time if we have a deficiency of output during other periods of time we might want folks to use a little bit less during other periods of time and so there's a whole series that is introducing price elasticity of demand into the equation is something that's never ever been able to be done before part of that's because you know, it used to be the meters were just demand meters. We had no way to know what someone was actually changing and attribute it to their behavior uh, during that time frame. And now that we have, you know, smart meters in some parts of the of the country and certain parts of the world, and that now you can start to look at people's uh, reaction to some of those things at the first level. And these probably don't work very well for consumers. It works great for the system. You know, some of these programmable thermostats or thermostats that that um, can be changed remotely. Uh, the set points on those thermostats can be changed in response to a system emergency or something like that. That's one of the first places we see kind of larger scale demand response and demand management technologies being introduced. That's a, It was there in the past, but it was really kind of utility scale done and it was very clunky. But what we're seeing is that's great to do it with heating and cooling. I think that that's probably the wrong place to focus. It's one of the larger demand areas, but those are the things that impact people's quality of life and their lifestyle the most. There are lots of other demands and lots of other loads in the house that are a lot more opaque to us. We just don't pay attention to them. Things like a pool pump. If you interrupted a pool pump, most people would have no idea that you've done such a thing. And yet they're you know relatively large demands. And so having the ability to start to introduce some price elasticity of demand into this equation is where technology is going to have to be introduced into the system along with some form of uh, storage right okay and what do you feel is, that is missing right now you know it's uh very similar to what we you know talked about earlier on so the iot of things that's not new i'm not sure that it's perfected but it's not new and that's kind of coming the ability to you know, at least here for a provider to provide a financial incentive to a customer to make that behavioral change, that's doable. The ability to translate wholesale market environments into making changes to the specifics in an individual customer's home, that's theoretically doable. 
but it's stitching all these pieces together to make them work seamlessly and efficiently. That's, that's the key. And that's the problem. And that's the solution. And that's the opportunity. So that's, that's where we're focused. You know, I see as very much like there are so many brilliant people in universities that develop these amazing, you know, patents and these, these advances in material sciences or, you know, these other major breakthroughs in technology. And then you got to commercialize them. <laughs> that's a whole different, that's a whole different animal. So I see that that's kind of what we're talking about is how do we take some of these technologies that have existed in the commercial space or the industrial space mm-hmm. now with the cost of directly accessing and, and talking to uh, individual appliances. Now that the cost of that is within the realm of reason, how can we start to, to, to stitch all these things together in a way that works? And, and that's where we are. Brilliant. Well, it's been fantastic talking to you today, Jesson, and thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. I really hope I didn't bore your listeners too much. So, <laughs> no, 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 you definitely haven't. I mean, it's been a lesson on, you know, energy and technology and, and God, you know, it's fascinating. So thank you for your time. And, and uh, I look forward to learning more from you and uh, Energy Ogo and how you're disrupting the energy market with technology. So thank you for your time today and, and much appreciated. For sure. I enjoyed it very, very much. And hopefully I'll have a chance to talk to you and and your listeners at some point in the future. So thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tied Together. If you have any comments or you have any feedback for us, you can always email us at tiedtogether at cohesis.co.uk.